Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk Podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I'm the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed Conference every year. Head over to CanMedEvents.com now to learn all about our CanMed 2021 event that will take place September 29th through October 1st at the Pasadena Convention Center in Pasadena, California. And be sure to get your tickets at our special early bird rate. While you're at CanMedEvents.com, be sure to sign up for email alerts to stay up to date with all the news surrounding this industry-leading event. The best place to do that is on our podcast page, which you can find in the main menu under the media tab. You can also go there directly by going to canmedevents.com slash coffee talk. There is a sign up form on that page. And if you complete it, you will be entered into a drawing to win two CanMed 2021 VIP dinner tickets. While you're there, you can also listen to all the CanMed coffee talk podcast episodes in our archive. If you're looking for a more interactive experience, we've started a Facebook group to discuss all things related to cannabis from the bench to the bedside. We're calling it the CanMed Community Board, and it's a great way to communicate and collaborate with experts and enthusiasts in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and testing. Check out the link in the show description to join today, or just search CanMed Community on Facebook. On this episode, we discuss dosing medical cannabis with Dr. Dustin Sulak. Dustin is an osteopathic general practitioner who focuses on treating patients with refractory conditions using an individualized, health-centered approach. Dr. Sulak is a founder of Integrate Health, a medical practice in Maine that follows over 8,000 patients using medical cannabis, and co-founder of Healer.com a medical cannabis education resource. Dustin has also participated in every CanMed event since our first event in 2016. He serves on our CanMed advisory board, evaluating abstracts and helping select presenters, and he is an instructor on our full-day CanMed medical practicum. Topics we discussed include why dosing medical cannabis is different from other therapeutics, the fact that cannabinoids can have a biphasic and even triphasic effects, how a patient's optimal dose can change over time, commonly going down, how patients commonly build a tolerance to the adverse effects of cannabis, but not the benefits, the benefits of working with a trained medical provider to determine one's optimal dose, but also strategies for how patients can find their own, how cannabis can be used for health promotion and disease prevention, and how using a variety of cannabis cultivars and not sticking to just one strain can actually be a benefit for patients. Before we get to my conversation with Dustin, I would like to thank this episode's sponsor, Cannabis Patient Care Magazine. Cannabis Patient Care Magazine is an educational resource for patients, medical professionals, caregivers, and advocates on the latest research, benefits, and treatment options medical cannabis provides for a variety of illnesses. They are excited to announce that their March issue will be coming out next week with a focus on chronic pain. The issue features content from industry thought leaders in medical cannabis, including Brendan McKernan, CEO of Medicinal Genomics, Eloise Thiessen, board-certified adult geriatric nurse practitioner 
president of the American Cannabis Nurses Association and a medical leader of this year's CanMed Medical Practicum and others. Visit cannapatientcare.com to learn more. And lastly, our friends at the Hemp and Coffee Exchange are creating some great coffee. If you didn't know, hemp coffee is healthy, delicious, and a natural product rich in trace minerals and nutrients, providing sustained energy without the crash of regular coffee. For more information, please check out hempcoffeeexchange.com and use the promo code DRINKHEMP to get 10% off your purchase. Okay, and without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Dustin Sulak. Good afternoon, Dustin. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Ben. Glad to be here. Okay, let's talk about dosing. It's one of those topics that our audience is always curious about, and for good reason, I suspect. It seems that cannabis is difficult to dose properly for a number of reasons. Is that fair to say? I would call it different, maybe not difficult. It's it's different than what medical providers are used to because, you know, we're used to saying, oh, you've got high blood pressure here. Let me give you this number of milligrams, take it twice a day. And that's kind of the standard prescription. And cannabis really requires that we get into more of a personalized uh, recommendation, a personalized regimen for each person and not only that but sometimes for each problem so it's it's more individualized and therefore more nuanced but i think with some basic principles it doesn't have to be difficult or confusing okay so what are some of those basic principles Okay. Well, let's let's start out with the fact that everybody's different in their response to cannabis, in particular, their response to THC. So if I'm sitting across the room from a new patient that's never tried cannabis before and say they're wanting to use cannabis for pain or sleep or anxiety or anything else, I have no idea, is this a two milligram person or a 20 milligram person? And and literally, that it's that range and sometimes even broader. You know, I have some people that would be sensitive to as little as one milligram of THC when taking by mouth and some people that can go way higher than that without side effects or um, or tolerance building, which I'm sure we'll talk, talk about in a little bit. So without n- knowing where someone's at in their level of sensitivity, which probably has uh, many uh, factors that influence that, including one's age, one's gender, uh, probably less so in- influenced by one's size or one's body weight, but um, there's probably genetic factors in there and we don't know all of them. So if I don't know if you're a two or 20 milligram person, we start at two and we methodically work up through that range with a lot of patient education on here's what to look for when you start responding here's what to look for when you might start having adverse effects and that's going to inform you where that therapeutic window is like where's that range between what works for you and what starts to cause side effects and so we we identify that and it often takes people anywhere between a week and even a month uh, depending on how slow and cautious we're going 
And and then I'll just comment on CBD, which is you know so so similar to THC in a lot of ways, in terms of it can help a lot of the same things. It can help with pain, inflammation, anxiety, and so forth. But uh, very different when it comes to dosing because people it, it's usually very forgiving, right? People rarely get into trouble taking too much CBD. Uh, you know, it's uh, more common problem is that they're not taking enough. So the milligram dosing for CBD and THC is way different. You know, I think very few people are ever going to feel two milligrams of CBD. Most people need to get to five or 10 milligrams before they even start to feel something. And with CBD, often more is better, especially if they're using a CBD, a really CBD dominant, like a hemp preparation. Uh, it's usually uh, upper limit limited by cost. You know, I think a lot of people would be using higher doses and getting better results if it weren't so expensive. But then that, there's the opportunity to really uh, do what I think so many of your listeners understand is the combination of the two. It's not THC or CBD. It's it's really using both of them strategically together. And then I would imagine too, beyond just THC and CBD, there's there's terpenes, there's other minor cannabinoids that could be playing a role. So how does that entourage effect further complicate dosing considerations? Sure. So, I, you know, I think the biggest influence is when it comes to inhaled cannabis. You know, when people are either smoking or vaporizing cannabis flower, I will see extraordinarily distinct, extraordinary distinctions between, uh, you know, one variety of cannabis and another. One might be very uplifting and energizing. One might be very sedating. One might do nothing for pain, but really help with anxiety and the other, you know, the opposite. Some might simulate appetite or suppress it. So it's just really all over the place with those varieties. I, I think that in most situations, once the flower is processed into an oil or a tincture or a capsule or edible or something like that, a lot of those differences are kind of washed out with the processing. Now, more people in the cannabis industry and my company Healer are, are one of the leaders in this. Are, we're working on how do we get all the virtues of that flower into a bottle you know, or into a pill uh, because those distinctions are, are really nice. There's also, um, in my mind and in my experience, a lot of rationale for blending the varieties together and having, you know, like a, a wide spectrum, kind of a shotgun approach product, which can be more straightforward and easy to use and, and more versatile for a wide range of people. So, um, yeah, so I guess getting back to, you know, your question, terpenes, I think um, I think of that more as like the fine tuning. And so my first goal with a patient is to kind of orient myself to their general dosing range, general sensitivity. Like, first of all, are they responding to cannabis? I mean, believe it or not, not everybody who tries to use cannabis for pain or sleep or one of these conditions uh, receives benefit, even though most do, you know, uh, and um, those who don't usually we can kind of switch to a cannabis plan B and get some good results there too, because there's always so many different things to try in the world of cannabis. Um, but if they are responding general ballpark of what number of milligrams are we talking about? That's like the big knob on the old fashioned radio where you're like tuning into the station. And then the fine tuning knob we do at a follow-up visit, which might have everything to do with the terpene profile of the product they're using. And um, then what's been really exciting to me are the acidic cannabinoids. And so I've been watching this for several years now that THCA and CBDA in particular are powerful agents that have been overlooked for a long time. They seem to be more, you know, better tolerated 
more effective, especially at very low doses, than their neutral counterparts, um, but not substitutes. You know, I'm not in any way suggesting that THCA is a substitute for THC. They act very differently, but I almost always recommend including some THCA in any THC product. And, and that's for a variety of reasons. Number one, THCA does have some distinct mechanisms of action that THC doesn't have, but also it's been shown to be a positive allosteric modulator at the CB1 receptor, which means it can kind of turn up the volume, turn up the activity, and actually potentiate or make the THC more potent and more effective so one could use a lower dose. Also, the, the pharmacokinetics are all interacting, which means when we take these cannabinoids together, especially say we take THCA and THC, we take them by mouth and they go to the liver. Well, now we've got two compounds that are competing for metabolism in the liver, and that would slow the breakdown of THC. So having some THCA in there, again, kind of not only potentiates uh, the, what we would call the pharmacodynamic effect, it doesn't only make the action of THC more potent, but it slows its breakdown and therefore makes it last longer in the system and be more potent in that way. And then finally, these acidic cannabinoids are absorbed way better. You know, what makes them acidic is they have a carboxylic acid uh, functional group on them. So they're a little bit more water soluble and that uh, increases their absorption. It looks like, you know, the, uh, the CBDAs absorb somewhere between five and 11 times better than CBD. THCA might be absorbed up to 50 times better than THC when taken by mouth. So you don't need much of those. So that, that's another really exciting piece uh, for improving results with and uh, being able to use a lower dose. Yeah, and I would imagine being able to use a do lower dose is better for patients just because cost has to be such a, a limiting factor when trying to determine dose. It really is. I mean, my, like kind of the nature of my practice is cost-effective solutions to uh, problems that have failed to respond to conventional treatment. This is what I've been doing for 11 years. And um, it, it, yeah, it's finding a way for people to afford this or to be able to produce their own and and make mm -hmm. their own and sometimes not have to to be able to do that without spending a lot of money on lab tests and all of that i think these are two really important strategies for empowering patients you know the the self cultivation and self production is just such a therapeutic activity unto itself. You know, I feel like that alone has great healing power and the patient just feels so good about the fact that they've made something that's now bringing them relief. So I support that in a lot of my patients as well. It's obviously not legal for people to do that everywhere, but it certainly is here in Maine. That's excellent. And so you, you talked about when you're starting with a patient, you, you have a starting dose to sort of be able to determine the, the therapeutic window. What is that? Where, where do you typically start? Yeah. So on a THC side of things, if there's no nothing that informs me that they're either super sensitive to THC or that they're not that sensitive, you know, if I have no historical information like that, I start at two milligrams. I warn them that the starting dose might do zero for them, but um, we're going to we're going to go up methodically and find the dose that works. Um, and that, you know, so, there's some exceptions to that. Sometimes if it's a daytime treatment and somebody's very active and they're driving and I want to really make sure that there's no impairment, I'll start with say one milligram. We have a product here that's uh, four, uh, one part THC and four parts CBD with a little bit of the THCA and the CBDA in there. And so a common um, kind of take with breakfast recommendation I have is would be start with five milligrams total of that. So that's 
uh, approximately one milligram of THC and one of C and five of CBD. And that's a nice, safe starting place. And believe it or not, a lot of people are starting to say, yeah, I think I actually felt a little something there. And then as we go up, it, it starts getting better and better. So that, that kind of orients that lower end of the dosing range. And so in preparation for, for talking to you about, about dosing today, I went back and I watched the the panel from CAMED 2019 that you are a participant on along with a number of other doctors. And you guys got into some really great data, a lot of great information, and I'll share the link in the show notes here. And one of the things that was really interesting was sort of this biphasic effect that cannabinoids can have where at a low dose, they can be not as effective, but and at a very high dose, they can't be very effective. I was wondering if you could talk more about that. Right. So this sweet spot that we see in cannabis right. is, um, yeah, this this is, what can I say? Cannabis is known for these dichotomies. Like everywhere you look in <laughs> cannabinoid research, you see them. And so, of course, it's going to show up in dosing as well. But th- this would indicate that if someone starts at a low dose and they gradually increase the dose, for a little while there, each dose increase is going to result in a stronger therapeutic effect. So that would be one phase of the relationship, a direct relationship between dose going up and therapeutic effect going up. And then at some point, there's kind of an apex to that phase. And as you increase the dose even more, the therapeutic effect will start to diminish. And what what often happens to patients that don't understand this is they're saying, wow, I increased the dose and it's not working as well as it used to. You know, something must be wrong with this. I should increase the dose even more, right? It's that, That only makes sense to most people. So they increase the dose even more. They might temporarily feel a stronger effect, but then within a few days, they're feeling even less of a therapeutic effect than they did previously. And they repeat and repeat. And before long, they're taking this high dose and barely feeling it at all. And this is a process known as tolerance building. It happens readily with THC, but it's also very easy to reverse. And we can talk about that as well. Another really strange thing about THC is that it might not just be biphasic, it could be triphasic. So at very high doses, they could start to recover that direct relationship and have the therapeutic effect start growing again in the in the in a positive direction. Unfortunately, that's going to be a much more expensive treatment, and usually the kind of maximal therapeutic effect at the high dosing range isn't as nice, isn't as um, beneficial to the patient as it is in that kind of low moderate dose. So the other thing is though, people, when they find their sweet spot, like if they really explore this dosing range and figure out what is that maximum dose that gives me the benefit without the tolerance building, without the loss of efficacy, people are able to stay at that dose for years or decades without it ever losing effects. So it, it, it really benefits people to take the time to methodically figure out what is their optimal dose because when they know that, they're set. They can stay on that dose for a long time and usually over time people will start to feel better and then their dose goes down a little bit. You know, as their health improves, they require less and less cannabis. Maybe the physiology just doesn't need it as much. So that's the trend I I typically see. But most people would never think, oh, wow, the cannabis isn't working as well as it used to. I should reduce my dose. Like, that's just not that intuitive, but that's actually what works. (laughs) Yeah, that's really, that's really fascinating. And I wonder, and you can certainly tell me if I'm wrong, but I mean, the whole idea of having a cannabinoid therapy is to 
make up for a deficiency in endocannabinoids, right? So could it be that by using cannabinoids, it sort of retrains your system to be producing those endocannabinoids? And maybe that's why you don't need to supplement so much? Absolutely. That's, I think that's a lot of what we see in that lower dosing range when we first start out. You know, there's a, a handful of animal studies that have shown when you administer THC to rodents in particular, at certain doses, you can kind of upregulate their, either their production of endocannabinoids or their CB1 receptor density, meaning how many receptors their cells are producing or the sensitivity of those receptors. So there's some evidence to suggest this, but I, I think this takes us um, back to this kind concept of therapeutic window, what we see in, um, because this, this concept of tolerance building can happen at different rates in different parts of the body and different parts of the brain and reverse tolerance can also happen. You know, I think one of the, one of the really interesting features I've recognized about cannabis over the years is when I ask large groups of people, you know, the first time you ever smoked cannabis when you were a teenager or whatever, did you feel it? And so many hands go up like, no, I did not feel it. Right. right. Some, sometimes people have to use it two or three times to even experience it at all. Now, that might just be due to the fact that their kind of sensory awareness wasn't attuned to that psychoactive shift and they didn't know that they were stoned, but they really were. I, I think there's probably some of that. But there's also some evidence suggesting that it was that first dose of cannabis that kind of primed their system and then made them more sensitive to it when they took it the second time. And so from a therapeutic window perspective, what I see when people that are cannabis naive, so they, they haven't used cannabis before, when they first start using cannabis and we get kind of over that threshold of some therapeutic effect, in the next few days, they become more sensitive to that without changing the dose at all. So like, say two milligrams did nothing, three milligrams, I start to feel a little bit of relief in my back. Okay, stay at three milligrams. On day three or day four, that three milligrams is starting to feel stronger than it did when they first started three milligrams. So that would be a widening of the therapeutic window with the lowest effective dose actually going down a little bit. And then we also get this widening of the therapeutic window with the dose that causes the adverse effects getting pushed back a little bit. And this we typically see it with some of the um, the motor effects. So when, when people first kind of go over that line into side effect territory, uh, one of the things they, they report is either dizziness or clumsiness or just feeling a little unsteady. And that has to do with uh, kind of the psychomotor response and some of the areas of the brain that control our body movements. And it's, it's been shown that the areas of the brain that control these physical functions will build tolerance to THC faster than areas of the brain that control pain signaling or that control anxiety or, or some of the other effects, some of the cognitive and cerebral effects of the THC. And so people could stay at that dose. They're feeling a little wobbly. Okay, well, don't go up anymore, but just stay at that dose for a few days. And a few days later, the wobbly thing is gone, but the pain relief is still there. Mm. So this whole idea that you can build a tolerance to the adverse effects, but not to the benefits. Exactly. And to do that, you got to be methodical and you really have to be paying attention to your body's response and your mind's response to cannabis. Um, but but yeah, absolutely. And same with the memory loss, same with the kind of, uh, you know, the giggles. I mean, anything, whether it's a... 
an adverse effect uh, in some situations and maybe not in others. But, uh, you know, most of my patients don't want to be high all the time. And, um, you know, even without CBD, even with a pure THC treatment, I really want to emphasize that people can get relief of pain, relief of anxiety, spasm, many other symptoms without getting into the territory of impairment. You know, and, and even if at first they're feeling a little bit of that, they can build tolerance to that and maintain that therapeutic efficacy. So seeing as though you need to take a real methodical approach and there's a lot of patience that needs to be taken as well with really finding the right dose, how important is it for patients to work with an experienced healthcare provider when trying to figure out their optimal dose? I really don't like to limit people because unfortunately there's not a lot of experienced healthcare providers out there right. that work with cannabis. Right. And so, you know, a big part of my mission is to help people circumvent that if they need to. But uh, of course, if you have the option of seeing someone that's been, you know, treating patients with cannabis for five years or something like that, I, I encourage any listener to at least explore that. They're likely going to find uh, some pearls there that they wouldn't have found on their own. Plus it's um, a lot of people just in, in general in our society, but especially people that have been suffering for a long time and have been through the medical system and haven't found the results they're looking for, they might be less aware of their bodies and less aware of their, you know, just kind of like where they're at. I had a patient yesterday who I was, you know, I, I said, well, how have you been doing in the last month since I saw you last? Well, you know, my back pain is uh, a little bit better. Okay. How much better? You know, and, and eventually I kind of fished out of her that it was about 30% better. And she really noticed that she was able to do the dishes without having, you know, to stop a few times in the middle. So that was a big, a big one. I said, anything else? No, I think that's it. Otherwise, I'm doing pretty good. How about your migraines? How many of those have you had in the last month? Oh, my God, I've had none. Okay, and so, like, she wouldn't even have known that. She wasn't paying attention to that. She wasn't taking notes on that. That was a huge surprise for her when I asked her that question because previously it was one to two a week. And and the listeners right now might be thinking, like, oh, my God, how can this woman not know that, you know, that she, she stopped having migraines? But this is very common. So people uh, sometimes really benefit from a third party there that can be more objective and hold them accountable and ask the right questions and kind of reflect back to them the progress and the, the pitfalls and the successes to help people uh, accomplish that without the help of a provider, I developed something really simple called the in inner inventory, which is just a, a three to four measure scale that takes about 30 seconds to perform on oneself. You take a deep breath, you rate on a scale from one to 10, how smooth and easy that was. You hold still for a few seconds and you rate how comfortable you are in your body. And then you put on a fake smile and you see how real it feels over the course of a few seconds. And that's a, you can rate that on a scale from one to 10. And then if there's a primary symptom you're dealing with, you can rate that, that, that symptom's intensity. And, and so with our products that we make, we provide worksheets for people to record their inner inventory a few times a day, basically before and a little while after their cannabis dosing. And a shift in that inner inventory is a nice sign that they're at a dose that they're starting to feel a response to. And, and so that's, you know, th there's all sorts of ways to circumvent. But I think uh, I would recommend the listeners, if you're using cannabis and your goal is optimal health and you have access to someone like me that's been doing this for a long time, it's probably worth a consult. And then if you're new to cannabis and you're worried about it and you just want someone to be there to support you and supervise this, I, you know, I, I think working with an expert is going to um, create a faster path to success.
That's excellent. Those resources sound great. And I'd love to link those as well in the show notes. And one of the things I was going to ask is, you know, what about folks who are looking to use cannabis just for kind of general wellness or just general well-being? Maybe they don't have a, a specific condition, but, you know, everyone wants to everyone wants to feel good. Everyone wants to feel better. Uh, I imagine that, that those principles would hold true for those folks as well. Yeah, this is a great topic that I'm very interested in, uh, cannabis for health promotion and disease prevention. You know, I feel like if, if you could take almost any field in medicine, whether it's psychiatry or pain medicine or neurology or gastroenterology, and take all their the cases that have failed to respond to all of their treatments and send them to me and I'm getting success with 80 to 90 percent, you know, if cannabis can be so useful for all these refractory conditions, what could it do to prevent them? What could it do to keep people healthy? What could it do to help people perform at their best and feel their best? I actually wrote a chapter on this in a book that's coming out in the next month or two uh, that I wrote for physicians and other clinicians. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, cannabis for health promotion and disease prevention. I think there's some, you know, very basic principles that I'll share with the listeners here. You know, number one is you do not want to build tolerance to THC because building tolerance to THC means you've downregulated your cannabinoid receptors. And that means that you're undermining the function of your endocannabinoid system. And this is a system that is there to keep you healthy, to respond to injury and to respond to illness and to keep everything in balance in the body. So, so no tolerance to THC. Um, it, you know, that, that's the number one rule. Another, another rule uh, or another set of rules has to do with using cannabis to support other lifestyle factors that are known to be healthy. So if you're not sleeping well, ask yourself, well, how can I use cannabis to optimize my sleep? And that's probably a whole nother podcast worth of information there. But, uh, but we have a lot of that info on my website and people can find that as well. If you're um, if you find that cannabis is a nice adjunct to exercise, either because it makes you look forward to it more and do it more frequently, or it's, if it's because it helps you feel like you recover faster and get ready for the next workout, use cannabis as an adjunct to exercise. Use it as an adjunct to meditation or spiritual practices, to creativity, to socializing, which, you know, it's, I mean, I used to not have to tell people to do that, but of course now in this day and age, you know, so many of us are socially isolated and um, really missing the healing aspect of uh, those social connections in our life. And I think uh, it's important that cannabis can really deepen relationships quickly and help people open up and share and collaborate uh, creatively. And I think that's uh, that's really essential when it comes to health promotion and disease prevention. And then the other thing that I, I want to share is if you look at some societies around the world that have used cannabis for this purpose, it's often the acidic cannabinoids that they're relying the most on. So cannabis tea is a wonderful tonic. You know, think of think of this as something that you can do that really has no downside. That's just going to help mitigate inflammation in the body and kind of nudge your endocannabinoid system in the right direction. And so, and, and that's that's a no-brainer. You know, almost every morning or about six days a week, because I, I do take a cannabis fast one day a week myself, along with um, uh, calories and caffeine all on the same day. But I, um, 
I just throw I just throw a little bit of bud, like maybe the size of a of a pea, a fresh pea. I throw that in the cup, and you know maybe I'll add another tea bag, maybe I won't. Pour hot water on it, let it steep for five minutes, and drink it. And if you know that you're not very sensitive to THC, you could even eat that little bud at the end of the cup. Uh, you will get some THC in that dose, but it, it might not be a lot. It, it kind of depends on uh, how strong the flower is and how big of a bud you you pinched off. But cannabis tea is a wonderful tonic, and so I like people to think about uh, a lot of my patients as they get better and better we kind of transition their treatment to you know from not how can I use this as a crutch to manage my life to get on top of my health care to you know become more self-efficient and then it, it shifts to cannabis as a tonic how can I use this to stay healthy and the tea is a big part of that no that's that's really that's really cool. And one of the things that stuck out to me when you were talking was this whole idea of building a tolerance to THC and how that could actually hinder your body's own endocannabinoid system. I had never really thought of that. You know, folks who, you know, unfortunately maybe uh, use a little too much THC could actually be doing themselves a disservice because you're, you're affecting the way that your endocannabinoid system is working. I think that a lot of the listeners, well, first of all, I want to say that it's okay. It's totally okay to overuse THC to build tolerance. There's no judgment. That's a useful experience to have. And I think that a lot of the listeners who have had that experience where they found themselves smoking joints all day long for weeks at a time, and then they realize at the end of a joint, wow, I didn't really feel anything. I bet if you really look at yourself, when you stopped using it a couple days later or a few days later, I bet you started to feel better. Now, this doesn't happen to everyone. You know, about somewhere around 50% of heavy cannabis smokers will experience a withdrawal syndrome, which is not that strong, but it's irritability, loss of appetite, trouble sleeping, you know, things like that. But a lot of people, after they stop using it, they suddenly start to feel like normal is the new high. You know, like, wow, that feels really good. I want to, I want to feel like that more. And, um, and that's a, you know, I think that's an important transition point between the crutch and the tonic. You know, if you're a cannabis user and it really is helping you, you, you're likely going to feel a lot better after you use it. I would encourage you to watch for when you don't feel better after you use it or when you feel even a little worse after you use it. And that's a that's something that will, your body will show you if you pay attention and you're honest with yourself, you'll note that. And that's a really beautiful communication from your system that it's time to shift your relationship with cannabis into a different mode. So, so watch for that. But this... Um, this process of regaining our endocannabinoid receptors can happen rapidly. It's been shown in one MRI study, at least in men, to happen over a period of 48 hours. So if you're dabbing or smoking joints all day long and you don't feel it at all, you can stop for 48 hours, start at, say, a 50% lower dose, and you're you're going to feel it. And, and that's that's just the thing. Like, how would you like to spend half as much money on your medicine and feel it either the same or more with less side effects? Like it's only upside for that. So, and that's why years ago on healer.com, we put up this free program called the sensitization protocol, which really holds people's hand and walks them through not just those 48 hours, but I do give a lot of strategies for how you can deal with those 48 hours. You know, it's for so, easier for some than others. So there's exercises and meditations and foods you can eat and all sorts of things you can do to get through that period. And then um, a guide for how to very um, consciously restart the cannabis at a lower dose and watch what it does for you. 
That's excellent. And winding down here, I did want to ask you about product variability and how that can sort of play into finding the right dose. Like maybe you were using a product, it, it was you found the right dose, it was really effective, but then for whatever reason, that product's not available at that dispensary anymore. How can that sort of throw everything off? Great question. So I think there's some value in that, first of all. You know, for years, people have been telling me that if I just grew one strain in my backyard, you know, for the whole year, it seems to not work as well as if I grew four and kind of switch between them. You know, for maybe I'll do a couple of weeks with one and a couple of weeks with another or one in the morning and one in the night, things like that. And so I, I think to keep, well, let me say that physiology tends not to be static. You know, we really do well with fluctuations in our system. And, uh, you know, that's that's biological life for you. And so um, I don't think it makes sense to really strive to use the same exact cannabis at the same exact dose every day for a long, long period of time. Now, little fluctuations are okay. Skip a dose once in a while or get a product that's very similar but slightly different. That's that's usually very helpful. I had a lady yesterday who's um, in her mid-70s. She's using cannabis for pain. And the dispensary sold her the same potency product, but this one was hybrid instead of Indica. And she said, I don't know why they sold me that, that, you know, I, I was buying the Indica every time. And I said, well, what did you think? You know? And she said, it works, but it doesn't seem to work quite as well. You know? And, and that's, a, I said, well, that's a fine experiment. It's a little bottle. Go back there next time and say the Indica works better. And now, you know, and, you know, and, and that's not a big deal. What is a big deal in my mind is when the label is just way off. And unfortunately we see this so often in cannabis. So what if this lady goes to the next dispensary and because of the label on the first product, she thinks she's a 10 milligram doser. And she, you know, she asked the dispensary agent, how many drops of this is 10 milligrams and whatever they tell her, maybe she's getting 20. I mean, this is, this might sound unusual to listeners, but this is not unusual usual to me like this this is happening all the time because um first of all the testing labs have a lot of inconsistencies people don't necessarily measure how many drops are in a milliliter so they're just like kind of picking some number between 20 and 50 and uh and saying that that's how many and then doing the math there a lot of times the labels don't make it simple and the patient actually has to try to bust out a calculator and figure out milligrams per milliliter and drops per milliliter and you know that's that so um, you know, we've really uh, put a lot of attention and time into simplifying that for patients with the healer line of products, both our hemp products and our THC containing products that we have in Maine and in Maryland. And we include dosing guides. And I mean, it's just so often that people are making mistakes having to do with either inaccurate labeling or misleading or confusing labeling of the products. So that that's where the real pitfall is. But when it comes to um, you know, a certain preparation being like the one, you know, I sometimes see that in my patients with seizures where mm -hmm. <clears throat> we can really determine like, wow, you pretty much are getting the same dose of CBD or THCA that you were getting before, but, but really this product isn't working as well. And the parents are like, absolutely not. So I do see some real specificity, not in all seizure patients, but in a few seizure patients, but in general, I think variability is okay as long as you're in kind of that same range. Right. So I guess it must have to be a, a certain psychological mindset you need to be into too, is to kind of be open that there might be a little variability and to be able to, to roll with that. 
Oh, Ben, our, um, yeah, I think we've, our, our species has really um, lost its comfort with ambiguity. And this is a big <laughs> problem. You know, we all really want to pin it down and uh, identify all, all the discrete, you know, kind of cause and effect relationships in our life, not just with cannabis, but with so many things. And I think it, uh, that's extremely stressful because we're living in such a complex system and we are, we are such a complex system that we can't really always... Uh, pin down all the discrete causes and effects. And, uh, you know, I invite the listeners to be comfortable with ambiguity whenever it comes up in their life and they don't, they, they don't really understand what's happening or they can't be certain they're getting the right dose. Uh, that's okay. You know, I, what I tell my patients is that if you accidentally take a thousand times the dose of this medicine, you know, a thousand times the dose I'm recommending, it's not going to kill you. It's not going to cause any brain damage or organ damage or anything else like that. You might be sick for a day. Uh, have someone put you in a calm, reassuring environment and, uh, you know, call me if that happens. But it's, um, you know, people do make mistakes and, and sometimes there's great lessons that come out of that as well. All right. Um, one last question before I let you go. We talked a lot about having resources to help patients with their dosing. What about physicians or healthcare providers who are maybe new to cannabis and want to start recommending it to their patients? What sort of resources are available to them to help to help guide their patients? Yeah, great question. So, you know, my supreme offering is this book that I've been working on for the last year and a half. It's coming out uh, through Norton Professional. And even though on major booksellers, it says the release date is August, it's probably going to be in the next month or two that it's released. And that's available for pre-order right now. So that's the best I have to offer you. It's called Handbook of Cannabis for Clinicians. Now, there's some other resources I want to point you to. One is the Society of Cannabis Clinicians. It's a great membership organization and we just released a new curriculum of about 20 modules that you can take online so that's a, a nice resource and then healer.com which is my free patient education website we also have a paid training certification program on there which includes um, kind of bite-sized online modules plus a bunch of videos and then a monthly webinar uh, and and the monthly webinar is actually free for everyone to attend but in the training program we have all the previous webinars that are all time stamped so people can go right to a topic that's important for them but that was originally designed for dispensary agents and for mm -hmm. caregivers and people that were just wanting, you know, kind of lay people that were really wanting to dig in deeper. But what we found is now we've got 200 clinicians that are in that program and they all love it, I think, because it's um, it's just uh, kind of very concise, quickly uh, applicable. You know, that was my goal with it is to make not not to make this a scientifically dense curriculum, but to empower people to get good results very quickly. So all of my education uh, on healer.com, I think, is empowering even even physicians. I would say start with my patient education material. Maybe that's all you're going to need and you're going to you know pick it up faster. But those are those are the resources. So cannabisclinicians.org for the Society of Cannabis Clinicians, healer.com and then the book Handbook of Cannabis for Clinicians. Yeah, those are great. And I know that you're going to be participating in our medical practicum at CanMed as well. 
Um, I think that'll be a great resource for clinicians as well. Uh, it was so sad to miss CanMed uh, this year, and I'm, I know it's going to happen again. CanMed has been a wonderful conference and a great resource. And I know that clinicians that have that attended the 2019 that I've stayed in touch with it felt so empowered by that by that one day session that we had there. You know, it was kind of like the soup to nuts in one day. Uh, that that was such a, a beautiful offering and, and a great attendance. And I think we really made a difference in the world with that. So. So I greatly uh, look forward to the next CanMed. I do as well. Um, thanks again, Dustin, for taking the time to talk with us today. And I do look forward to seeing you out in Pasadena for CanMed. Thank you, Ben. It's been a pleasure. Have a good one. Do hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Dustin Sulak. Check out the resources in the show description to learn more. And thanks again to our sponsor, Cannabis Patient Care Magazine. Visit CannaPatientCare.com to learn more about that publication. Our next episode will drop Wednesday, April 7th, two weeks from today. In the meantime, please go to CanMedEvents.com slash coffee talk and sign up for email updates. That will enter you into a drawing to win two tickets to our CanMed 2021 VIP dinner and keep you up to date with all things CanMed 2021. If social media is your thing, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Just search for CanMed Events. And lastly, if you are listening via a podcast app, go ahead and hit the subscribe button so that new episodes automatically download to your device. And please leave us a five-star review as well. All right, that's it from us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be sure to come back for the next episode of CanMed Coffee Talk.